Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. The Bible answers the most profound questions that man asks himself. Where do I come from? How did all that I see around me come to exist? And also handles the issues of sin and mercy and grace and forgiveness. So, this particular subject of forgiveness can truly transform the way we see ourselves, God, and all of our relationships when we understand real forgiveness. The moral conscience that lights up every man in John 1.9 has been violated. An environmental standards of a society is not enough to satisfy the moral conscience. With all the implementations of standards that Buddha and Mohammed and other religious leaders have adopted and established, but this doesn't in any way purge the moral conscience. It may appease the moral conscience, but it does not purge the moral conscience. Giving their babies to the Nile River to satisfy their gods, the demon gods, all these sacrifices never accomplish the feat of purging the truth that God has established within the moral conscience because of his justice and because of his love and his holiness. So there's a tremendous cry out of the depths of the heart, from the depths of the unconscious, for forgiveness. Because scores and scores of people have not sensed that forgiveness, do not realize it. They have emotional reproductions, which are mysterious, which reproduce within the line of their feelings certain attitudes, certain disturbances, and many different reactions. A subjective mind that hasn't been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ is a subjective mind that will always have to live without the peace and the assurance of God's grace and God's forgiveness. The emotions carry on in relationship to who I really am subjectively as well as objectively. Resentment and bitterness spring up as a corresponding emotional problem to a root disease that has violated the law of God. This is the reason why it is so very important to get to know the truth about redemption, to really understand mercy and grace, God would, man would, in relationships, in various opportunities of spiritual service, Because if forgiveness and mercy and grace is misplaced, misunderstood through the magnification of other exercises of spiritual gifts, then an individual never becomes real before God and can never make God real before man. He may reproduce some characteristics of righteousness, but he can never reveal God's righteousness. He may manifest some beautiful convictions, but he can never express God's character. For this reason, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament 
had blood placed upon the altar seven times. In Exodus 29:37. And if anyone touched the blood on that altar or touched the altar, they were set apart. And the Lord was trying to reveal a tremendous story and one that in the New Testament ultimately could purge the conscience, the depth of man's subjective, involuntary mind, and produce in man a new capacity and option for emotions which go way beyond the human limitations of time and space and takes us into the practical reality of a living God expressing his affections in our humanity to make God visible in the most deepest and personal sense. What does it mean, the cry for forgiveness? The cry of every person in the universe, and this is the reason why, over and over again, they sacrifice in false religions because there's a need for forgiveness. This is the reason why so many self-righteous programs are promoted, which are promoted out of a need for forgiveness and a system of works that would take air of the guilt, supposedly. But Christ made very clear to us what forgiveness is all about. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and death means to be separated from God's life. When Jesus Christ suffered and shed his blood on Calvary, when he died for our sins, he was saying that I not only want to pay for the wages of sins, but the spear was placed in his side and the blood came out in John 19.34 because there had to be the washing away of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood came from a nature that had no personal sin. The life of the flesh was in the blood and the life would be in the shed blood. And without the shedding of blood there would be no remission of sins. So Jesus Christ in the Old Testament said take the blood place it upon the altar seven times. The significant meaning that would characterize the innate heart of man would be that if he understood that the cross of Calvary had the blood applied seven times, going beyond man's number into God's number of seven, and applying on Calvary a provision that would penetrate deep into the heart and soul of man for his forgiveness. And so the word of God says that whosoever touches that altar is sanctified. No wonder that Hebrews 10.10 says it's one offering. No wonder that Hebrews 10.14 says that we are perfected by his one offering. Because the blood of Jesus Christ totally satisfies a holy and just and righteous God and gives forgiveness to those who do not deserve it but by grace through faith touch that finished work cross with their heart, with their mind and soul and with their emotions. It does more than just give forgiveness. It establishes something that teaches holiness in Titus 2.11 and 12. It does more than just cleanse us from our sins. 
It purges us from our conscience. The dead works of orthodoxy, of religions, insistence outside of mercy. It does more than to purify us by faith. It places into our heart the right of a holy God to live in an earthen vessel that has not been perfected because the blood has satisfied God and the blood has done its operation through the Spirit to make it possible for Christ to live inside of man. It's not only forgiveness, but it also gives a holy God a right to indwell man and to stay with him as long as he's on the earth because the penalty has been paid for. The judgment for sin has been made. And not only that, but the blood of Jesus Christ consistently becomes a witness on the earth in 1 John 5, 8 with the water and the Spirit of God that we have a record in heaven of being eternally accepted in 1 John 5, 7. In 7, there's the record between the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. On earth is the Spirit, the Blood, and the Word. And this is our witness that we have been approved and accepted inside of the Beloved, and therefore we are sealed with His Holy Spirit through the regeneration act of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It simply means this, that despite the understanding of the finished work, there are literally Hundreds of Christians that claim that they have forgiven people. But in reality, their relationship, their attitudes, their fears, their insecurities, and the walls of obstruction reveal that they do not understand forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Jesus Christ died for us while we were ungodlike. He shed his blood when we were alienated from God by unbelief and ignorance in Ephesians 4.18. Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the whole world and thus in 2 Corinthians 5.20 doesn't impute the sins of the world to them. That's the kind of salvation that we have. The world does not get saved until they're born again and repent and come to Christ. But their sins have been paid for. Why? Why did he pay for the sins of the world when they haven't even accepted him? Because he loved them. And because in the quality and essence and character of God's love is forgiveness. The truth is this, that the blood of Jesus Christ came from the heart of one who delights not in punishing people, one who delights in mercy over judgment, one who loves and delights in giving his life for others and then having others receive his life and give it to others, one who goes beyond the limitations of the natural mind, trained in the calisthenics of works and religious options of self-righteousness. One who goes beyond the innermost capacity of doing good and wipes out the record against all of those that are guilty. And so Jesus Christ has clearly taught 
that he came into the world to die for sins and to pay for them so that people will not have to ever live in the experiential judgment of sin or the eternal condemnation of iniquity. What does it mean? The altar has been touched seven times. As a sinner, it means that without any system of works, I go to the altar of Calvary with its one offering, and my heart believes that on that cross Christ paid for it all, and I touch it. No matter what my sins were or what I have done, I come away set apart, sanctified under a new covenant made between the Father and the Son, a covenant that's unchanging and mutable based upon the contract of grace in which we don't merit favor to obtain it. And then we touch that altar and the Holy Spirit begins to take the blood of Jesus Christ and goes into our conscience, our subjective mind, our objective mind, and produces the effect of cleansing and purging. means he takes out the roots of not being forgiven and the roots of guilt, and he begins to allow us to serve God as a living God and not with dead works because of concealed problems. To understand forgiveness is to experience the blood of Christ beyond anything that's living today in the revelation realm of Christianity. It means that every single part of my soul has been forgiven and I'm absolutely cleansed, totally complete in Colossians 2.10, perfect in my standing in Philippians 3.15a. It means that I've been accepted in Ephesians 1.6. It means that not a thing can separate us ever from the love of God in Romans 8.35-39. It means that no one can lay a single thing to the charge of God's elect in Romans 8.33. It means that no one can ever condemn in Romans 8.34. It means that I, through the grace of God, and through something that I don't deserve, have touched the altar where the blood was placed seven times. It means that I'm the candidate of amazing grace. I'm the very product, and you're the very subject, of those that have understood what it's like to be redeemed by Christ. My subjective mind can be established in new roots, the promises of the Word of God, a gift graciously bestowed upon me through unmerited favor. And those promises become a seed, and that seed becomes planted and watered, and then it becomes a harvest fruit within my mind and emotions as I enter into the process of becoming a brand new experiential creature according to my knowledge and exception of redemption. It means a purging of lines. It means an establishing of new ideas and new relationships and new revelations and new adventures and new boldness and courage and new character and new newly being formed into the image of Christ innately within. So every single believer has the privilege of settling every single issue on the basis of the blood of Christ. When I see the blood, 
I will pass over you, said God in Exodus 12:13, in the land of Koshin. It's when I see the blood, and that's why the blood is precious, and that's why the blood is sacred, and that's why the blood must never be trodden under our feet in Romans 10:29. when I see the blood. So God says, if I marked iniquity, who could stand? He goes on to say, I remember your sins no more in Romans and Hebrews 8.12. And then he says, I pass us by transgressions that have been committed in Micah 7.18. Hiding our sins in the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west, removing them is what forgiveness means to God toward man. He doesn't remember because he doesn't mock them. He doesn't have any means for accusation, condemnation, or charges because his blood satisfied his holiness in the human form of Jesus Christ, the God-man. This blood is efficacious. That's what it means. It's atoning. It buys back spirit, soul, and body and places man in a position of acceptance through the grace and mercy of redemption. But what happens to scores of rationalistic believers who live in their personality, who live in their own sphere and understanding of desire, who live in a liberty that doesn't understand lordship, who lives in a callousness and a slothfulness about the atonement? They will always say they forgive. But the very fact that they remember reveals that they don't understand forgiveness in relationship to redemption. The first thing that happens when a person doesn't really forgive is his attitude remembers. And that attitude produces a line, and that line is revealed in his emotions, and he's disturbed by the emotional remembrance of a mental attitude. He remembers how he's been treated or how he's being accepted. He is not plenteous in redemption. He cannot agree with God that things are forgiven and forgotten and crucified and buried and out of the sight of God. And he no longer has a single eye. His eye has a conflict of how he's being accepted or what people think of him. The blood has not purged his conscience. He remembers. He will say, but I don't hold anything, but why do they treat me this way? It matters to that individual how he is treated. Why? Because he remembers, and he can't enter into redemption. This is the reason that 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, No, no man after the flesh, not even Jesus Christ. This is the reason in 1 Samuel, it was said between two men, let God be between us. This is the reason that Christ wants to start redemption working in me, even if you fail to respond. He wants my spirit, soul, and body, mind, emotions, and will, and instincts, and conscience to be redeemed. He wants me to be cleansed and purged and purified and to become a potent force for a living God without the dead works, efforts 
of trying and striving to appease to meet a standard of righteousness imposed by my knowledge without the life of God. Christ wants us to understand that marriages could be effectively changed if redemption was practically implemented. Somebody recently said, I'm not going to forgive. Or, I, or somebody said, I forgive yesterday. They said, I forgive, but that doesn't mean that I have to take a person back. Oh, it doesn't. Then let's say that God forgives you, but he doesn't accept you. How do you like that? God says, oh yeah, I heard you cry, and I forgive you, but I won't accept you. We'll go our separate way. That is not what God says. Forgiveness means to forget. And it means beautifully that there is no more remembrance of sin and we are free indeed to bring new creatures in a brand new life. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com So real forgiveness. It says in Romans 2 verse 15 that the natural man either accuses or excuses one another. And the, the act of accusation is, is really shows a lack of forgiveness. But even this act of excusing another, it, it falls far short, doesn't it, from what we heard, from the way that God does things. God's thoughts, they're higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than ours. It says in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In 1 Corinthians 15:34, we're to awake to righteousness. The twisted way that we've heard to do things in the past, it's really corrupted our habits. It's corrupted our methods of action. Naturally, we do things in a way that is not functional to our soul. It doesn't accomplish what would be necessary for our soul to function well. And the world around us, people who operate outside of God, outside of his grace and mercy, maybe with no knowledge of him whatsoever. The complex ways that they build moral structures in order to deal with one another. But these things are so flawed. Here, God has given us a pure, clean, immutable way of dealing with sin. In Leviticus 17.11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for your souls. And this in Leviticus is talking about sacrifices we saw the Israelites were to do. But those sacrifices were a shadow of the true blood sacrifice that would be shed upon the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12:24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling 
that speaketh better things than that of Abel. In Leviticus there, the life of the flesh, there that word life is actually the word nefesh in the Hebrew. And that word is more often translated soul. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. There was the very aspect and character, just like some aspect and character and the person of Abel was in his blood crying out from the ground that God heard it. There is a character, there is a the essence of divinity in the blood of Jesus Christ that does not speak revenge, does not say avenge me, but instead it cries out forgive. So God's method is not accusation or excuse, excuse which then pushes it down into our memories. We may excuse someone and forget that they had transgressed against us, but really it's not cleansed from us. We haven't been cleansed from the reality of the consequence of sin, how it's affected our lives. And we have many things that have happened in our lives that we forget, and people suffer all of their lives because of transgressions, things that happened to them in their childhood that they don't even remember. But it's formed their views of the world and of God and of people and relationships because that sin is there and present, if not in their conscious memory. The marks of it are present in their soul. And so when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied on our behalf, on the mercy seat in heaven. And when we come, when we come to God dealing with sin according to the blood, that the blood was shed, that precious eternal blood, that God's blood flowing through the veins of a man was shed for the atonement of our sins, for the atonement of our personal sins, for the atonement of the, of all of those transgressions that have occurred against us and all the sins of the, all the whole world, every sin that's ever occurred, past, present, and future, the blood of Jesus Christ. One drop of that blood would have been enough. They've written hymns and songs about it. Christ didn't shed one drop. He gave it all. He gave all of his life, all of his blood was shed and poured out and poured out for us. And when we come to God based upon this, then there's a mystical transaction that happens. (laughs) It is so amazing that I can come and say, Lord, you paid for that sin. What I have done, Lord, the, the blood blots out the transgression. I come to you, God, I I do not have, I will not try to muster up the moral power to forgive someone because I know I should forgive them. Instead, I come to you on the basis of the shed blood of your Son, and I pray, Father, that you would cleanse my conscience, that you would, that because of the blood I choose to forgive and not know a person after what they do or after their flesh but I will instead have a relationship with myself and with them based upon what you have done. And something happens in our heart. It's amazing. When we come to God on that basis, then we do not hold this sin. We do not repress it and push it down and and refuse to look at it and have it fester in our sub and unconscious mind down in the depths of our person, but instead the blood of Jesus Christ washes it away (laughs) and we are cleansed. It blots out that transgression 
and we can look at the person who's hurt us and genuinely not even remember, not even have a consciousness of that hurt, that pain, that God washes it away. And we we live this way when these things pop up again, we do it again, and we do it again. We come to the Father on the basis of the blood, and this becomes a lifestyle. And we can have pure relationships with people, not holding against them those things that happened in the past, not having a cynical attitude about the future because of the, the evil deeds of man. But instead, we are cleansed and we are to the pure, all things are pure. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. You know, the outstretched hand of God is waiting for you. There's forgiveness for you. And you may say, no, I'm too far gone. No, what I've done, God would never accept me. He would never, I could never be like that. I see people who are carefree, who are happy, who are innocent, and I'm, I'm far gone. I'm too far gone. No, God doesn't forgive you on the basis of your effort. He doesn't forgive you on the basis of anything that you could accomplish. But the blood of Jesus Christ has covered all transgression, including yours. And God is just waiting to be gracious to you. He's got his arm stretched out, waiting for you to enter into his embrace. Will you receive the forgiveness that is yours? Jesus paid a high price that you could be restored to his Father. Will you come? Will you come and believe that what he did was done for you? If you'd pray a prayer, if you'd believe in your heart, if you'd ask Christ to be your Savior, he'll come into your life and transform you, and things will just never be the same. Thank you, Lord. Pray you would seal these things, that you would give us a consciousness of your kind of forgiveness, that we would be able to forgive as you forgive. Lord, we pray you would do this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.